Good morning. You're listening to Quarter Circle Backboard here on KCLU 88.1 FM and KCLU.FM. I'm Chris Mitchell. And we're back for season three, everybody. <laughs> That's right. They let us have another season. This time on Monday. So you can get all that fresh, hot sports and video game content. First thing to start your week. Maybe you're on lunch break or something. I don't know. Maybe you're listening here. Maybe you're listening on the internet. Maybe you're listening on the TuneIn app. Wherever you're at, you can catch Core Circle Backboard on a new start time. 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. All the way till noon, so how about that? Man, um, this is the <laughs> this is the weird thing about being gone for so long because there's so much stuff to talk about that I was not able to talk about last time we met. Uh, I want to say that was probably at least a good like month ago. So there's a lot of stuff we need to cover. A lot of ground to cover, things of that nature. So um, I guess without a further ado or don't, we should get into it. Um, I guess we can start with probably the biggest thing coming out of today, which is the national title game, which is tonight. I think at like seven or something in, you know, God's blessed time zone, the central time zone. Uh, you got LSU. The LSU Tigers. Um, they're kind of <laughs> in the middle of like a breakthrough season, I guess. This is one of those situations, I think, where talent and scheme just come together at the right time. LSU abandoned sort of like the old-timey throwback, uh, run the ball down your throat offense, and maybe, I don't know, maybe some play action here and there for some, you know, good yards maybe with a quarterback. Uh, but the quarterback situation, not important, at least until now, because Joe Burrow, Heisman winner, Joe Burrow is the captain of this vessel. Of course, you got dudes like uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, a running back who's just absolutely dynamite. Got a pretty sick play caller in uh, Joe Brady. And then, of course, you got the, you know, <laughs> absolutely dynamite Coach O, who, man, if if you can't run, if that dude does not make you want to run through a brick wall, I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. Of course, you got a, also a dynamic wide receiver core. Guys like Jamar Chase as well. Dudes who can get separation and then some. Who can moss some dudes real good to get that possession. Um, LSU kind of boat raced Oklahoma in, I want to say, not the Fiesta Bowl. The Peach Bowl? It was one of those bowls that gets rotated in and out every so often. And, yeah, they... Uh, <laughs> Oklahoma did not look ready to throw down with uh, with a level of team like LSU, which, I mean, very few teams have this season, really, except for maybe like Alabama. We all know how that turned out. So, uh, yeah, the funny thing about LSU is, is they're, um, I don't think I'm speaking too out of turn. When I talk about how their defense kind of upgraded from being a liability to good enough. I think it's safe to say that LSU's defense is good enough at this point to where I don't see them being a total disaster zone come when they face Clemson, which I mean, we could talk about how that might shape up in a second. But yeah, LSU right now, every, everything seems to be going right for them. At least on offense, you got multiple early round draft picks. Uh, level of prospects along the offensive line, along the skill position core, especially a quarterback. Defense as well, you know, kind of cleaning it up a little bit, you know, not being a complete liability. Um, I guess the one aberration would be that game against Ole Miss, which I mean... I mean, if you just got out of a foot race with Alabama and Tuscaloosa and came out on top, 
I can see why you might be a little bit hungover. That that's just me talking. Look, I mean, yeah, context is everything. Moving on to Clemson, the other Tigers in this national title matchup: Dabo Swinney and his boys. I mean, yeah, Clemson's still Clemson, guys. Like, <laughs> like, I uh, I don't know what else to tell you, especially after that Fiesta Bowl. Um, I think out of all the teams in the college football playoff, I think Ohio State was might have been the best equipped to sort of knock out Clemson early. Like, I still think LSU has a very good shot of not making this a game. But Ohio State, I think, played with that sort of, like, physical brand of defensive football that old heads really love. And for the longest time, Ohio State did a really good job of just sort of beating Clemson off the ball, just putting the fear of God in them, getting their skill position players shook, but it only lasted for so long because, hey, man, when all else fails, just just co- uh, <laughs> when all else fails, just pop open those design runs for Trevor Lawrence and watch him watch him fly like the majestic beast he is. And boy, howdy, did he run all that to set up a game winning score set up by, a, you know, some savvy play calling. Some savvy setups to get Travis Etienne moving forward and putting Clemson into position. Here's what worries me if I'm LSU. Um, Clemson, pretty good at halftime adjustments. I mean, I think that was most evident in that uh, Fiesta Bowl against Ohio State where they just really couldn't get much going. Uh, J.K. Dobbins just could not be stopped. And then, oh, and um, yeah, Jeff Akuda just being an absolute lockdown corner. Justin Fields being his pretty good self. I mean, I don't think that's too far out of school to say. I think he had a pretty darn good season this regular season. I don't think there's any shame in, you know, getting game plan adjusted to death by uh, Brad Venables and Clemson's defense. But, yeah, I think (laughs) it'll be interesting to see how this game shapes up coming out the gate. If LSU is content to play at the pace that Clemson wants to play, and if Clemson decides that they want to control the pace of the game, and just grind it to a slow creep, which, I mean, they got Trevor Lawrence, they got Travis Etienne. I mean, that seems pretty possible. They got Justin Ross. They got T. Higgins. This This is all things that Clemson could do, in theory, to sort of slow down LSU. And if they play like that, I think I think uh, Clemson. I mean, has a pretty good cha- has a pretty good shot at winning. But if LSU comes out guns blazing, both halves just balls to the wall. I think LSU might have a good shot of winning as well. Um, so with that said, uh, I think I got LSU for this game. Yeah, I think that's my final thing um usually i pick the team with like the best defense but hey man last time i did that uh i kind (laughs) of i kind of picked alabama last year but to be but to be fair i think clemson had the better defense last season i'm just stupid i was like you know what alabama's probably gonna win anyways that did not happen Anyways, um, so yeah, that's the national title game, and that will cap off the college football season. It was a pretty wild one, folks. Um, I can get into more of like the intricacies of the college football season as a whole, probably in the next couple weeks, but uh, I guess we could start things off, I guess, the postseason discussion right here with some coaching changes. And boy, howdy, there have been some coaching changes, especially in the last two weeks or so. Um, Let's see. Let's go over the ones that I think I'm pretty sure 
uh, I didn't talk about. Um, I think Chris Peterson stepping down at Washington is something that I don't think I talked about. Uh, Washington's new head coach, Jimmy Lake, uh, Chris Peterson's defensive coordinator over at Washington. Now, Chris Peterson, uh, dude's like 55 years old. I could probably see him coming back to the coaching fold at some point. Maybe. I don't know. I guess it depends on if there's any like openings out there that might interest him. Seahawks. <coughs> Seattle. <coughs> but yeah, I don't think Chris Peterson is leaving the Pacific Northwest, which I mean, good for him. Honestly, dude's an incredible coach. Had a really good run with Washington, an incredible run at Boise State. Man, I don't think you can call him anything less than a legend. I feel like it's just one of those things. Um, Let's see. Matt Rule, head coach of Baylor, moving on to the big leagues. Uh, Dude just got signed to a pretty big contract with uh, the Carolina Panthers. John Gruden's sort of paving the way for a deal like that with his, like, 10-year, 10 10 year, 100 mil. Cause I think Matt rule got somewhere between like six years and 60 mil, something like that. It could be wrong, but I know the, I know the money was like 60 mil or at least close to that area. I don't know if it was like four or six or eight years, but yeah, um, that should be an interesting, I'm interested in what that might mean for Carolina, especially if, um, especially if they decide to keep uh, Cam Newton around, which, I mean, I feel like if there's any chance that Cam Newton could be like 80% healthy, 90% healthy, you got to keep him, right? Uh, we can get into this in the NFL segment. Um, outside of that, uh, Willie Taggart taking over FAU as uh, Lane Kiffin sauntered on to uh, Ole Miss. Let's see, outside of that, Steve Adazio, uh, former Boston College head coach. Uh, Adazio really couldn't get much going at Boston College, never really won more than like seven or maybe eight games. So uh, he moved on to Colorado State, which, I mean, beautiful town. Pretty solid program there. Uh, Yeah. Good for him, I feel like. Um, It could work out for Colorado State as well. Uh, Let's see. Outside of that, um, let's see. uh, I think we talked about Mizzou hiring Coach Drinkwitz. Uh, Only thing I'll have to say about that is... uh, Dude's like 36. Dude's like 36. Um, and I think they were, I think Mizzou is sort of like hot on that trend that other uh, programs are trying to follow right now, which is getting like a young, just like young guy. <laughs> which, I mean, there's a little bit more to Eli Drinkwitz than just being like 36, to be fair. But yeah, I'm just wondering like what, if that was like the difference between them uh, signing someone like Jeff Munkin or uh, Willie Fritz. I feel like that'd be kind of stupid because uh, Willie Fritz and Jeff Munkin are both like known quantities. That's not to say that like Drinkwitz isn't, but yeah, <sighs> it's just, it's just interesting, man. But Hey man, if they think they got their guy, they think they got their guy. So might as well just be patient for like a few years. See how that sort of pans out. Uh, Mike Norvell left for the Florida State University. Uh, So while he's coaching for the Knowles, uh, you got Ryan Silverfield, who I believe was the coach during the Cotton Bowl for Memphis. And they played pretty competitive with Penn State for most of it, even though they were pretty, like, outclassed talent-wise. Penn State was able to sort of, like, separate themselves enough from Memphis to, I think, Beat him by like uh, 14, by at least like two touchdowns. But still, uh, they kept it interesting, which if you're a group of six or group of five or whatever, part of the power six, as it were, um, yeah, that's a good look for you. So good job, Memphis. Way to, you know, meet those expectations of, you know, being competitive at the very least. Um, Let's see. Uh, Rutgers fired Chris Ash. That was earlier in the season, though. Uh, being replaced with Greg Schiano. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Greg Schiano was the head coach of Rutgers back when Rutgers wasn't just total like butt. <laughs> uh, he actually got him. He was actually able to string a few wins together for uh, Rutgers. Uh, are they going to replicate that success? 
Uh, I wouldn't count on it, really. <laughs> but it's an interesting like legacy hire. The uh, good news is those always work out, so good for you, Rutgers. Uh, Sam Pittman, uh, former offensive line coach for Georgia, uh, very strong recruiter. Uh, that's right. He flipped Arkansas after uh, Chad Morris got the boot after losing to Western Kentucky, I think, somewhere in there. Anyways, uh, I think that could be a pretty good hire because I think what you got to do if you're Arkansas is you just got to, like, start selling kids on coming to Arkansas. Maybe, you know, get that Jerry Jones scratch all up in their faces. Talk about, hey, man, this, this is Arkansas, bruh, Razorbacks. The fans will love you if you come here. And, I mean, it could work out. I think it helps that they got someone like uh, Barry Odom to not only, like, coach the defense, which I still think he could do a pretty fine job at. Um, not only do that, but, you know, I don't know, give these kids hype because if nothing else, the kids love Barry Odom. And I think if you're looking for, I don't know, guys who can recruit – in certain areas, if you tell them to go recruit there, they could do a solid job there. Anyways, um, but I think the biggest news coming out of like the past couple of weeks as far as coaching is uh, Joe Moorhead. Uh, offensive play calling savant Joe Moorhead. Uh, yeah, dude got fired from Mississippi State, which I mean, if you want to talk about the chain of events matriculating from a dude imitating a dog peeing in the end zone. Heck, that might even start with uh, DK Metcalf when he did it two years ago and that egg bowl. But yeah, just from like that, what has matriculated in the state of Mississippi afterwards is just really, really funny. <laughs> it's really goofy and it's so weird and also kind of expected to see something like that dictate what the football, the state of football is for the state of Mississippi. I think Stephen Godfrey called, or Stephen Godfrey of Banner Society, described it as Mississippi State and Ole Miss as two crabs in a bucket, <laughs> just sort of in their own sphere, dictated by... I don't know, their own set of rules and own, own set of standards. Anyways, uh, Mississippi State replaced Joe Moorhead with... Uh, <laughs> they replaced him with Mike Leach. Now, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, that's right. I'm just trying to like find the words with how to start this because... I don't think Mike Leach is a bad coach, per se. Uh, check the tape. I think he is, in fact, a pretty good coach. I'm just... Uh, for... If Joe Moorhead couldn't get anything cooking on offense with Mississippi State, I don't know what Mike Leach could do. The, here's Joe Moorhead had like two ish years to sort of get his offense cooking and couldn't in Mississippi state. So I don't know what Mike Leach could do in that amount of time to make it look any better. Like I know, I think Mike Leach could run away with some, I don't know stronger offensive talent in recruiting. I think he could feast on the transfer portal if he wanted to. I think those are some things he could do to sort of get Mississippi State into air raid shape. But I don't think they're going to get to the kind of shape that Leach wants them to be in like the first two years. And when you're someone like Mike Leach... Um, and you're in a media heavy market like the SEC and you're one of, and you, and you coach a team that is one of those crabs in the Mississippi bucket and you don't get the success that you want early. Ah! 
Oh my god. Just absolute. Oh god. Oh yeah, it's an election year too. Mike Leach, famous for, you know, keeping mum on, I don't know, whatever opinions he's got dancing around in his head. So, yeah, strap in, Bulldogs fans, because it could get really ugly really quick. And you're going to have to have some perseverance if you want to, <laughs> if you want to survive these next couple of years, because it was tough for Wazoo to sort of get into air raid shape. So I can't imagine it'd be much easier for you. And who knows if, if things work out, you're looking at maybe, I don't know, anywhere upwards of like nine wins per season, which for Mississippi state, that'd be good. I'd that'd be fun to watch even, especially if Mississippi state can keep the, up their trend of, you know, getting some pretty darn solid, you know, offensive, defensive linemen. And if Leach can sort of, you know, build a defense better than he ever could at like Texas Tech or Wazoo, then he might be in good shape. It's just a matter of waiting and just biting your tongue whenever Mike Leach decides to, I don't know, talk about the deep state or whatever. <laughs> Strap in. Actually, that might cater to a lot of Mississippi State fans if we're keeping it a stack. So who knows? Oh, well. Long live the SEC brand. My God, we're going to get a Lane Kiffin, Mike Leach egg bowl. <laughs> oh, boy, howdy. Um, I think we're going to take a uh, quick break. When we come back, we got some NFL stuff to talk about because all the divisional games are over for the playoffs. Uh, on top of that, we got some head coaching hires as well for some of these uh, captainless ships. So without further ado or don't, we will be right back with some more quarter circle backboard here on KCOU 88.1 FM and KCOU.FM. Do not go anywhere because we will be right back. Delicious power breakfast. Great way to start the day. I'm Brandon Anthony. And I'm Keegan Harbin. Make sure to tune in every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. to listen to me. And me on our new show, Breakfast of Champions. Here on KCOU Sports, KCOU 88.1 FM. Are you the type of person who loves their community and wants it to be the best it can be? Now it's easier than ever to do your part. Go to RecycleMode.com to see just how easy it is to recycle the right way. Or if you already recycle and want to be as efficient as possible, RecycleMode.com can tell you what should and should not be recycled in your area. Become part of the clean recycling movement today. It's the right thing to do. Sponsored by the Missouri Department of Natural Resources. I'm jumping in with my clothes on. Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Yo, yo, what's good? Esoteric. A woolly person, a bar on track, best of Jenny and I have to come see, 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 see. I ain't at your highness. But I'm the time for games, I want time, no, 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 no. Seven now, Zarr face back at it again, you already, yeah, I'm fire in the summertime. Good morning. Greetings and salutations. You're listening to Quarter Circle Backboard here on KCOU 88.1 FM. Or you're listening on KCOU.FM. Or you're listening on the TuneIn app. Or you're listening to this show uh, two weeks from now on Spotify or on Anchor or on Stitcher or on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Chris Mitchell here to talk to you about the sports that you like and the video games that I like. Um, let's talk about the NFL real quick. Then we can get into some juicy, juicy video game stuff because 
It's a new year, folks. This is 2020. We got that 2020 vision, which means uh, we got to break down uh, everything you played in uh, 2019. And every game you like, didn't like, things of that nature, etc. But first things first, let's talk about 41 unanswered points. Seven consecutive touchdown drives. Four passing touchdowns in the second quarter. Those are all the things that the Kansas City Chiefs needed to dig themselves out of a 24-0 hole. And beat the Houston Texans 51-31 to on Sunday. Uh, it was pretty hairy for the Chiefs or <laughs> early. I mean, as evidenced by the 21-0 lead that the Texans sort of like got themselves out to at, by the end of the first quarter. Pair that with the field goal they kicked at the top of the second quarter. And then that's a 24-0 deficit. Um... It's not like the Kansas City Chiefs played a absolute perfect first quarter of football. And they were just getting overwhelmed by the Houston Texans. Um, there were a lot of drops. Uh, Travis Kelsey had one on third down that forced a punt that was blocked and returned for a touchdown. Uh, Tyreek Hill muffed a punt uh, or muffed a kickoff or punt. One of those things that uh, set Houston up at the six yard line. Um, some blown coverage led to a Deshaun Watson to Kenny Stills 50-yard, 50 54-ish yard touchdown bomb. And so, yeah, that spotted the Texans 24 points, and the Chiefs said, okay, let's do that. Um, the Texans made some mistakes. Um, they kind of let a fake punt get away from them. As uh, Chief Safety Daniel Sorensen sort of sniffed it out and got him to, I don't know, not convert, which I think led to a touchdown. That, I think that led to the first touchdown, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Or maybe it was the second one. I don't know. Either way, a touchdown was scored by the Chiefs on the ensuing drive. And then after that, uh, Darwin Thompson, uh, Wonder Boy, drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs this past season, or this past offseason. Um, I liked him in uh, offensive looks. I thought he had a pretty good head of steam for a first-year running back, and I think he had some room to grow and maybe be a running back option, a bona fide running back option at some point in his career with the Chiefs. Um, he probably made the biggest He probably made the biggest play of his uh, professional career. Uh, I, was it him who scooped it? I think. Um, anyways, I think he popped the ball out of a uh, Texans returner's hands. And then promptly it was either him or someone else scooped it up and then was able to take it well into like, I want to say like the 10 or five yard line, which set the chiefs up for another score. Um, and then after that, there was really, uh, <laughs> after that, they didn't really need any devil magic to just score touchdown after touchdown after touchdown. Uh, Texans eventually stopped the bleeding. Deshaun Watson was able to run in, but not before the score was 48 to 24. Advantage Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes, I think people talk about signature games a lot, and I think Patrick has had the misfortune of having a lot of his signature games um, happening in games where the defense sort of like runs out of gas. And um, kind of loses the game for him. Uh, both Patriots games from last year, especially the AFC Championship game, um, the game against the Titans this year, where Patrick Mahomes, like, or Pat had, like, I don't know, three or so, three or four passing touchdowns and, like, 500 yards passing. Um, yeah, that didn't happen. He was able to, <laughs> uh, Chiefs were able to hold on pretty soundly, I might add. And, yeah. This is this is finally a signature win, or a bona fide, genuine like statement game by Patrick Mahomes that he can hang his hat on at least as far as the playoffs go. And boy, howdy! Oh my God, I can't, I can't I can't even remember the last time their uh, Chiefs quarterback could do anything like this. You know what? I'm going a, I'm to a pull that back. I can't remember the last time a quarterback in general was able to, I don't know, 
put the team on his back like that. I think the secret closet MVP of this game, though, was um, Travis Kelsey because dude was questionable coming into this game. Uh, I think he had a bruised knee or something. Uh, Dude had like 10 receptions for 136 yards and three touchdowns. If that's not coming up big when the moment like really called for it, because he uh, he was instrumental in catching those touchdowns uh, in the second quarter that allowed the Chiefs to get back. I believe he scored the first three touchdowns like in total for the Chiefs, which, uh, man, that's... I'm pretty sure that's a statement game for him, too, really, if we're keeping it a stack. Um, up next, they face the Tennessee Titans because... <sighs> It pains me to say that the Ravens season has come to an end. Lamar Jackson's MVP campaign stops here because Tennessee was just bullying the Ravens offensive line all game. Just Lamar just could not get any looks. His receivers were dropping passes left and right. I think Mark Andrews tipped a ball that led to an interception. And then the Ravens defense just sort of uh, just kind of fell off. I think this was the big problem with the Ravens defense coming into this season is that um, if they can execute on defense, then they should be fine because the defensive scheme is, you know, sound enough. And I think that showed when they played a lot of, you know, actually good teams like the 49ers or the Patriots, and was able to sort of keep them from getting any momentum going on offense. Uh, flash forward to now, and yeah, there can be there can be hiccups in the Ravens' defense, and I think they got a lot of them against the Titans and Derrick Henry, which, I mean, I, I figured if you could contain Derrick Henry, maybe keep him around 100 yards, maybe not less than 100 yards, or just around 100 yards, and force Ryan Tannehill to beat you, then I th- or force him to make a play, then I thought they'd be in good shape. But I don't know, man. Just too many things not going wrong, not going right for the Ravens. Uh, just a lot of sloppy play, front to back. This was not Lamar Jackson's best game of the season. But... I think, I don't know. I think people are being a little bit, I think people are being a little bit too early on uh, calling Lamar Jackson fool's gold. I know in the, (laughs) I know in the industry, it's important to have, I don't know, your dynamite stone cold takes like as soon as the game is over or as soon as someone slips up. But I don't know. I think you need to have a little bit more confidence and faith in the dude who's probably going to win MVP this season and definitely deserves it. It's just a matter of, I don't know, getting, I think it's just a matter of sort of like, I don't know, rearranging your offensive scheme a little bit to sort of, I don't know, compliment Lamar more as a passer. That's not to say that this current scheme did not, but I don't know if it's variety you're looking for in the Ravens offensive game that revolves around more than just a very sturdy rushing attack. I think what I'm trying to say is I think the Ravens offensive scheme needs a backup plan. If the offensive line is just getting bullied up front, I think a lot of that revolves around, I don't know, Lamar sort of like fine tuning his skills as a pocket passer or as a scrambler and thrower. If he can do that, then I think the sky's the limit. Uh, I think if you're the Ravens, though, you got to start with actually finding a wide receiver one, which uh, Marquise Brown, uh, I liked him when the Ravens drafted him, but, man, we're going to need a little bit more, or the Ravens are going to need a little bit more from their um, from their wide receivers if they're going to, you know, get anywhere. And <laughs> I think... I think I'm starting to worry that uh, the Ravens front office might have wide receiver blindness, at least as far as evaluating draft talent. I think it's the same kind of blindness that Bill Belichick has, if we're being frank. So I don't think it would hurt if they tried to go after a known quantity, like, I don't know, Stefan Diggs, 
this offseason because I believe he is a free agent. So if they want to hop on that, then, I mean, I'm not going to say no. And who knows? That might just be what the Ravens need. Someone like, I don't know, Stefan Diggs, who was a bona fide wide receiver one. Even when he was playing for dudes like Case Keenum. Or this past season with Kirk Cousins. Uh, the sky's the limit, honestly. If they could try to curtail something like that. Um, let's see. Outside of that. That's going to be an interesting matchup, at least in the AFC Championship game, of like two very different uh, offensive sort of philosophies. It'll be interesting to see which one sort of like holds the most water. Uh, if I had to, I don't know, make a prediction, I think I'd go with Kansas City coming out on top. I think it's going to be ugly, but I feel like, I don't know, they might have the juice to do it. If this past Sunday was any indication uh, on the other side in the NFC, uh, I don't know. Minnesota ran out of gas, lost to the 49ers, 27 to 10. Uh, Kirk Cousins really couldn't do much, really. Uh, Dalvin Cook also just sort of stymied by that super strong 49ers defensive line. And not much else to say about that. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, I don't think he got over 150 yards passing, which is weird. But, I don't know. Hey, man, if it works, it works. If it gets you to the NFC Championship game, it gets you to the NFC Championship game. But, I don't know. And they'll probably be fine. Up next, they play the Packers, which, I mean, after a, a little bit of a scare there, a little bit of a fake comeback by the Seattle Seahawks, they were able to come out on top 28-23. to and, man, <laughs> the difference between, I don't know, a Mark, a Mike McCarthy-led Packers squad and a Matt, and a Matt LaFleur Packers squad is, man, it kind of feels like night and day a little bit. At least as far as, I don't know, their ability to not let Seattle back into the game completely. And, man, I just <laughs> Pete Carroll really just punted the ball away to lose hate to see it anyways shout out to uh shakim and shaquille griffin who notched up their first career sacks as a tag team duo against aaron Rodgers. you'll love to see it really yeah outside of that uh aaron Rodgers looked pretty darn good for the most part in that game he looked to not reclaim his mvp season form but, you know, kept it at a certain level of quality that, I don't know, I guess you'd come to expect from a quarterback with bona fides like uh, Aaron Rodgers. So good for him for keeping it. It'll be really interesting to see which team comes out on the NFC Championship game. Personally, I would really love to see the coveted Mahomes-Rodgers matchup that I feel like I've been waiting for for like a year now. <laughs> like ever since that first game against the Chargers. In week one of the 2018 slash 2019 season, I was like, okay, I really need to see this. I feel like this could be, remember when people were talking about how much they wanted a Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers Super Bowl, and then we got that game, kind of, last year, it kind of sucked. This would be the game that sort of, I don't know, this sort of old guard versus young blood game that I feel like a lot of people, I don't know. Would be interested in watching. I would definitely be interested in watching. So, yeah. Uh, you got some exciting football ahead of you, folks. Uh, I wouldn't turn it down if I were you. Um, I think we're going to take another quick break. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about, I don't know, some video games I've been playing to sort of get you guys, I don't know, caught up with what I've been doing. Plus, talk about a little bit, a little bit of basketball is a treat for y'all and yeah it'll be fun i promise i promise you're listening to quarter circle backboard here on kcou 88.1 fm and kcou.fm don't go anywhere because we will be right back
TOU would like to shout out East Side Tavern. It's the bar that's bizarre. Downtown Columbia's best karaoke comedy club. With a huge selection of drinks and activities and themed nights every week, East Side is a solid place to hang out. Station. I'd like to report a bear hug. Okay. I put out my campfire and Smokey Bear hugged me. So you drowned the fire, you stirred it, drowned it again, and felt that it was cold? Uh-huh. Yeah, but he's just letting you know you did good. Bear hug from Smokey Bear. Status update. I'm gonna let you go now. There are many ways to start a fire, but one sure way to put it out. Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your state forester. Make sure to start your week off right by listening to General Emission on KCOU 88.1 FM from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. every Monday morning. I think he's wrong, though. You're, it's a you're heartless agreeing move. and disagreeing There's, on the same topic. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm not disagreeing that it wasn't a smart move. I'm just not disagreeing with Anthony Davis's dad either. Once again, that's General Emission from 8 to 9 a.m. on KCOU 88.1 FM for the latest updates from the MLB, NFL, NBA, and the NCAA. Hey everybody, you're listening to Court Circle Backboard here on KCOU 88.1 FM and KCOU.FM. The season three premiere on a new time slot at 11 a.m. in the Central Standard Time on a Monday now, as opposed to a Thursday or a Friday night. Um, This is a show where we talk about the sports that you like and video games that I like. And now it's time to talk about the video games that I like. Because it's 2020, 2019 is over, which means I have to sort of do a referendum on all the games I played, all the games I really liked, all the games I thought, eh, we're fine. And just the regular, it's like the casual trends of gaming that I've been sort of keeping up with. Um, I guess I could get to some news first. We're finally getting the final sort of edition of Street Fighter V, the Street Fighter V Championship Edition or Champions Edition. I believe is coming out sometime later this year. Um, I think pretty soon. I don't think, I think before spring or something like that. Um, it'll include pretty much every single like character they ever released slash are going to release as well as I believe every single cosmetic like costume tag thing, all that is going to be all in the game as well as the new uh, gameplay conceits like, you know, V trigger two, V skill two, all that's going to be in the champion edition. Um, I can't wait to feel like an absolute sucker and upgrade to that version. Uh, actually, I might just upgrade to that on my computer. I might leave PS4 version as is. Uh, but yeah, outside of that, I could play some more Street Fighter, I guess. I don't see why not. It'd be nice to have, like, all, like, the cosmetic stuff unlocked. Just, like, at the outset, so I don't have to worry about, I don't know, grinding my way through, I don't know. I'm liking a cool costume for, like, Ryu or Chun-Li. Or my man G, a.k.a. dude who may or may not be Q from Third Strike. Anyways, outside of that, um, I've been playing from some uh, Star Wars Battlefront 2, which, uh, when I played it initially uh, a few months ago, I was not super high on it. I thought it, you know, was very, you know, well-polished. I thought the gameplay, you know, was sound. It was a, you know, it was a dice game. And they're pretty good at making shooters. I'll give them that. But I don't know. It just wasn't like gripping me the way I thought it would. But um, they made some changes uh, since I last played, and now I'm pretty, I'm pretty enthused with it. I'm I've been enjoying what I've been playing so far. Um, I've just been grinding through. Like I'm locking like weapons right now. Um, I think I'm on like the set. I'm like on the first weapon you unlock for like the assault and the heavy class, and those weapons are fun. Uh, I've been having a good time with them. So yeah, uh, I'll probably be playing some more, probably with friends, mo- most likely. Um, I'm probably gonna. <laughs> I don't see myself 
playing these games too much solo, really. But yeah, Battlefront 2, pretty fun. If you can get it on the cheap, go for it. Um, I've also been playing uh, The Outer Wilds, which is one of those, like, one of those games that people, like, just cannot stop talking about. Good news is, people were able to talk about it without giving too much of what that game is about away. So that excites me a lot because I like coming into games like that with a sort of fresh mind and sort of like a fresh mindset. So it'll be interesting to see how that game sort of shapes. It's like off the bat, I played about like 30 or 40 minutes of it, and it's already pretty different from any other game I've played, I think, ever, <laughs> really. So it's got that going for it. Um, yeah. I'm definitely enthused to play more. I don't think it's very long. I think you can beat it in like three-ish hours, so I might hop on that soon-ish before classes start. Um, outside of that, uh, I picked up some games, like, um, I think games, GameStop was doing a sale the other day, or the other week or so. Might be like two or three weeks ago now. So I copped some used games. I copped uh, the Metal Gear Solid Collection on Xbox, Dragon's Dogma on Xbox, a game called Split Second, which is kind of a earlier, like, PS3, Xbox 360-gen racing game, which is kind of like, I don't know, one of those, like, peaks of that sort of genre back when that was hot. That game's pretty fun. Uh, Dragon's Dogma, pretty, pretty interesting. I heard a lot of good things about it, at least recently, so I wanted to sort of hop on that when I could. And, yeah, it's pretty fun. I dig it. It's really not like any other, like, RPG I played, really? It's pretty open-ended. And it's pretty tough, too. So it'll be fun to see how that sort of, like, matriculates. And I hope I get further because I like some, <laughs> I like some of, like, the armor stuff that you can get. That you can kind of see in character profiles. So I'm all in on that. I look forward to I'm spending more time with that. Uh, also been playing The Outer Worlds, which is a sort of uh, obsidian brainchild. Or, like, the team behind New Vegas' brainchild. And, yeah, that game is also pretty fun. A lot lot of it's, like, in the same vein as, like, uh, New Vegas or something like that. And I'm definitely going to be playing more of that, too. It's definitely in, like, one of... Right now, definitely one, like, those, I don't know, top five games of the year for me, at least. Um, and so there's that. Um, let's see. What else have I been playing? Um, I think that's it off the top of my head. Uh, final thoughts. Uh, Joe Judge... Uh, Patriots, former Patriots special teams coach is going to coach for the Giants. I mean, if you told me like two years ago that a Patriots special teams coach is going to be the head coach somewhere, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. Because I feel like when you're around all that talent, so I'm pretty sure you have to at least have a cursory knowledge of like every single player on your team <laughs> or their ins and outs if you're a special teams coach. Um, yeah, I feel like this could work out pretty well for the Giants, actually. I feel like most special teams coaches should have, or most special teams coaches worth their weight in salt uh, should have a pretty good shot at being a head coach. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, the Joe Judge era of the New York Giants turns out. It could be good. It could be just okay. I don't know, but I don't think it'll be bad by any means. Uh, and in closing, uh, Browns not hired Josh McDaniels. Uh, they hired uh, the offensive coordinator, from the Minnesota Vikings, which, I mean, I feel like your mileage can vary. But if, shoot, if your personnel isn't as good as what the Vikings had and the Vikings was quarterback by Kirk Cousins, that could be a problem. Also, uh, the Browns have an analytics department, and <laughs> which already sounds like a red flag. But on top of that, I uh, word on the street is that the coordinators, coaches are all going to have to meet with the analytics department in the front office to sort of approve or deny their game plan going into the week. That sounds bad. That sounds really bad. I don't think football programs should do that. Man, I don't think I don't think the Browns are getting any better until Jimmy Halsam croaks. Anyways, this has been Quarter Circle Backboard. Oh, yeah, the Knicks beat the Heat yesterday. That was fun. I enjoyed that a lot. 
Shout out to headband RJ Barrett scoring 23 points. RJ said he'll keep the headband. And I mean, if he does, and it makes him score more points, more power to him. Wear all the headbands you want, cowboy. This has been Core Circle Backboard here on KCOU 88.1 FM and KCOU.FM. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to the season three premiere. Uh, yeah, expect some more awesome, cool, fun, entertaining, exciting, informative, things of that nature. Uh, sports and video game content directly into your ear holes every Monday morning slash afternoon from 11 to noon. It'll be great, I promise. Thank you guys so much for tuning in again. I will see you guys next week, probably next week. If not next week, definitely the week.